where are we going to buy bread for all of these people to eat? Can you imagine the panic that flooded Philip's heart and mind when he heard Jesus ask him those words? 5,000 people were coming toward them. They were in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus was asking Philip where they were going to get some bread. Jesus was the one who was supposed to know the answer to that question. He's Jesus. He's their rabbi. He's their leader. He had always taken care of troubles and challenges like that. And now Jesus is looking at Philip and saying to him, where are we going to buy bread for all of these people to eat? Not long after Elizabeth and I were engaged to be married, my mother told me a little story about her mother-in-law, a story that my mother told as a way of assuring me that my mother wanted to be the kind of supportive, loving mother-in-law that I hoped she would be and not the sort of mother-in-law that real-life horror stories get told about. She told me about how my grandmother made her first ever trip to see my mom and dad, a trip from Birmingham, Alabama, to Atlanta, Georgia, where my parents had just settled down after their marriage. My grandmother was the head of a dance studio, and she had to finish the day's teaching before she got in the car for the three or four hour drive, which with the time change from central to eastern time meant that she was going to get there pretty late. And about the time my mother expected her mother-in-law to show up, it suddenly occurred to my mother that her mother-in-law might be hungry when she got there. So she looked at my father and said, your, um, your mother's on her way. She will have already eaten, right? It's, it's nearly 9 o'clock. And I'm sure my father, mom, my father gave her kind of a blank stare, which didn't help my mom push that fear out of her mind. Well, tell me, Doug, tell me, what's her pattern? Will she stop on the way, or is she expecting us to cook her dinner? My mother continued as she got up from the beanbag chair and made her way into the kitchen. When she opened the cupboard and saw almost nothing, that fear escalated into a full-blown panic. Where am I going to buy food for my mother-in-law at 9 o'clock at night? And my father shrugged his shoulders the way my father likes to do. Well, she found a can of diced tomatoes, I'm told, and added it to some leftover chili to stretch it as far as she could and whipped up a skillet of cornbread, which wasn't much, but it was better than having an empty table when one's mother-in-law walks through the door, especially for the first time. What about us? What do we do when we look out and see a multitude of hungry people coming toward us? And I don't just mean the 120 or so people who come to community meals twice a week. And I don't just mean the 40,000 or so people in Washington County who live at or below the poverty line. I mean the millions and millions of people in this world who are desperate. What do we do when we see them coming right for us and we hear 
Jesus say into our ear, where are we going to get bread for all of these people to eat? How will we, how will we respond to Jesus' question? Well, we might tell him that it's not really our job to feed all these people, right? In the story from the gospel lesson, I'm sure one or two in that crowd had a relationship with Jesus or a disciple, but most of them, John tells us, came simply because they had seen or heard about Jesus' healing miracles. Just like when a church starts giving out free food, a crowd forms People who aren't really interested in the church or the mission of that church, but just want a free meal. And is it really the church's job to feed them anyway? You know, if these people went home, they might be able to find enough on their own. If they just shifted their priorities a little bit, right? If they stopped spending their money on fancy smartphones or cable television or designer sneakers, if they stop buying the drugs and alcohol that we like to shake our finger at them for buying and instead spend that money on nutritious food, then they'd have enough, right? Maybe we wish it was somebody else's job. Maybe it should be somebody else's job. Why is it our church that has to feed them, right? Why didn't this crowd go back to another village or find another preacher or another agency to get food this day? Why did Jesus look at Philip and say, where are we going to get bread for them? Why did Jesus decide it was their job to feed them? Why? Because it is our job. It is always our job as followers of Jesus to feed those who are hungry, indeed to feed anyone and everyone who is hungry. The people who came out looking for Jesus that day were desperate to be fed. Sure, some of them probably didn't need physical nourishment, but most of them did. For most of them, their spiritual need was born from an economic need, and we know that because the people who had enough on their own didn't like to hang out with Jesus. The rich and the powerful, they ignored him, or they laughed at him, or sometimes they even plotted against him. And the people who went out to the wilderness and climbed up that mountain to see Jesus, they were as smart as you and I. They knew about how long they might be gone that day. They knew that it would probably be a good idea to pack some provisions for the day. But you know what? Sometimes people are so desperate that they leave home with nothing in their pockets because they don't have anything to put in their pockets. Or even if they do, they've been desperate for so long that they've forgotten how to notice, how to care that their pockets are empty. Those are the people who go looking for Jesus. Those are the same people who are coming to us, toward us with those needs. What will we do as they approach, as we hear Jesus whispering in our ear, where will we buy food for these people to eat? It's the instinct of the church in a moment like that, isn't it, to assess the need before us and the resources that we have to respond to that need by turning to measurable quantities. 600 days wages would not be enough. 
Six months, that wages would not be enough to feed all of these people with even a little, the finance committee says. There's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, the rector replies, but what are they among so many people? Our job as leaders of the church is to be good stewards of the resources that are given to us, to count the cost ahead of us, and to estimate what it will take to meet that need. That's the job of the church's leaders, but it is never the job of God's people to allow an attitude of scarcity to overcome a theology of abundance. How different might this encounter have been if Philip had approached Jesus and said, six months wages won't buy enough for each of us to get a little, but I've been following you long enough to believe in miracles? Come on, everybody, what do we have among us? How different would this encounter have been if Andrew had brought that boy's basket to Jesus and said, here are five barley loaves and two fish, a true gift and blessing from among all these people. Now, it would have been the same miracle. Jesus would have taken the loaves and the fish and multiplied them to feed everyone there but it would have been a miracle that God's people believed in even before it happened. And isn't that what Jesus is asking us to see? When that crowd, that multitude is coming to us, isn't that what Jesus wants us to see? Hunger, poverty, homelessness, addiction, Domestic violence, gun violence, children separated from their families at the border, refugees sent back home into the very moment of violence from which they fled. These needs are right in front of us, and the people who have them are coming to us. What will we do? They need us. Because as followers of Jesus, we are the ones who believe that God loves the poor and the meek and the vulnerable. As followers of Jesus, we are the ones who believe that God has a place in God's heart, especially for them. Where will we buy bread for all of these people to eat? How will we find the resources we need to transform the world around us into the dream that God dreams it can be? I don't know. I don't have that answer. But I believe in miracles. I believe that unconditional love has the power to transform this world into the place God dreams it would be. Because I know that you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love the world unconditionally and ignore the needs of the people who are coming toward you. Later that night, after Jesus had taken the loaves and the fish and made sure that everyone had enough, that everyone was satisfied, Jesus sent the disciples on ahead of him across the lake. And in the middle of a terrible storm, the disciples looked and saw Jesus walking on the water toward them, and they were terrified. It is I, Jesus said, do not be afraid. 
And John tells us that the disciples wanted to take Jesus with them into the boat. But when they looked up, immediately they saw that they were already at the place to which they were going. What a strange way to finish this miracle story. Perhaps because John wants to remind us how often we let the fear of insufficiency cloud our vision from seeing that there is always enough when Jesus is with us. Believe in God. Have faith in Jesus. Trust that with him there will be enough for everyone. Don't let the magnitude of the need ahead of us or the limited resources at our disposal cloud your vision. Don't let that fear take a hold of you. Have faith that with Jesus among us, we can take the offerings of our lives and our labors, present them to God, and through the ministries of this church, our church, we can change this world into God's dream for this world. One loaf, one fish, one meal, one person at a time. Thanks be to God. Amen.